بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد سالك کو اپنے اسلاف کو کم نظری اور حقارت سے نہ دیکھنا چاہیے anybody who's following the path of suluk then they should not look at their predecessors the mashaykh of the past with denigration which means that you should have respect for them and if you're reading something and something seems to be below the standard that you would think somebody should be at then you should not look at them with denigration what people will realize as they grow older when you're younger especially if you're a person with high himma high aspiration high standards you hold everybody to that standard and because you're young you can generally keep up with that standard you can normally act up to that standard when you're younger but as you go older and you become a bit more complacent and displaced then and you become more mature and experienced you have your own stumbles then you start becoming a bit more halim and clement allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most clement allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most clement meaning he forbears so much there's a hadith of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi which says la halima illa dhu atharatin there is no clement person except the one who has had a stumble before because when you've had a stumble before then you'll understand that this is human nature so then you'll be more forgiving of others otherwise you'll hold everybody up this is a bigger challenge for people who have a high standard uh, who have a lot of self-esteem perfectionists people who are very laid back they don't care about anything anyway they don't they don't care how the world is they they'll just let so everybody has their own they've got a different challenge this is primarily i would say a challenge for people who hold things in high aspiration uh, high standard and then when they see something below that standard they get angry they think they think why isn't if i'm able to do it why can't they do it but then when you've had experiences of yourself and you've become overwhelmed yourself sometimes then you'll start thinking well that's the way the world is nobody's perfect nobody's a superman superman doesn't exist the prophets were supermen nothing beyond that i mean the prophets were supermen so always try to find an excuse for somebody especially if they're akabir even ibn um, even ibn taymiyah says that um, so he uh, ibn taymiyah rahimahullah he's seen as uh, being anti tasawuf and he was definitely a bit more stricter on tasawuf aspects than many others there's no doubt about that but he understood the concept of it and same as his student ibn al-qayyim who wrote madarij as-salikin and a number of other books as well However, when it comes to one of the, I mean, if we say, who, who do you know as one of the biggest Sufis of the past? What name would come to your mind? It'd generally be Abdul Qadir Jilani, rahmatullahi Now, he's a Hanbali as well. So you've got two Hanbali scholars, one on this side of, uh, one seen uh, to, be, uh, to be on this side of the spectrum, and the other one to, to be seen on the other side of the spectrum. And the ulama, what they mention is that if you see an alim, and something strange is seen of an alim then we're supposed to make excuses for them because he's an alim at the end of the day he should know better 
So if he's doing something like this, unless there's a, a pattern and it's constantly happening, then of course then you could see that this might be the downfall of an alim. But otherwise, if there's just some one strange incident or something which has a possibility of being seen positively or negatively, then of course that's... Uh, uh, then you have to put it in the best of forms. You have to do that for anybody, really. You have to do that for anybody. There's been so many times in the past when I have maybe judged somebody, normal person, whatever it may be, uh, that they're doing this or they're doing this, and later it transpired that, no, they had an absolutely valid reason, or that there was a mistake or something like that. And then, you know, we become uh, really angry and uh, we go in guns blazing. And So being judgmental is not a good idea. I mean... I'll tell you that from experience, it's not a good idea, it's not a positive thing, and it's not healthy. Right, number nine, he says, Salik apne aap ko musika aur TV wagera se bachaye aur Quran maji ke laddat paane ka mutamanni rahe. That's quite obvious, that stay away from artificial forms of entertainment as much as possible. I've thought about this for a while. There's a hadith which mentions that music creates hypocrisy in the heart. I used to always wonder how that's the case. What kind of, how does it create how does it create hypocrisy? Now of course we don't have labs and scientists uh, unfortunately uh, much of science takes place in the West and some of our best scientists from Egypt and Palestine and Pakistan and so on, they're all sitting in in America, in American universities and labs and in British universities and labs, Dr. Khan and you know, Dr. Sheikh and so and so and they're doing all the work here so they don't really get to do the research that they would like to do otherwise this is the kind of research that we should be doing right so i thought about this for a long time and what i realized after doing a bit of study and experienced as well is that once music becomes you become accustomed to music it takes over your heart you become more addicted to it some people cannot work or even function or even walk without music some people literally are doing sometimes intensive work that requires their brain but they still need a background sound and that's just addiction that is a problem why would you want a background sound I mean, we've got a background sound right now which is bothersome right but you know for the sake of uh, the the air we need it but why would you need background sound when you're doing mentally intensive taxing work it's understandable if you're doing something mundane, you're just like tying ropes together or something like that, or you're weaving or something like that, which is like quite a routine, or you get into the routine and it becomes quite second nature. So what happens is that once the music captures your heart, you become addicted to it, then nothing else really provides the same kind of benefit. And the reason it can't provide the same kind of benefit, the Quran will not give you the same benefit as music because there's a massive difference between the two pleasures. The Qur'an does provide a benefit, but it's slow but enduring, it's slow, it's punch is soft, its effect is slow, but it will remain for longer. Whereas music, it gives you an instant high, it gives you a hit, but then as soon as it's off, you're down again. And it doesn't stay, you know, it just rings in your mind for a while, it just rings in your brain for a while, it just beats you, you know, in the, in the head for a while. But what happens with Qur'an is that it won't affect you like that because our hearts aren't prepared for it. But it, its effect will stay there and then eventually as you build on it, then its effects will stay longer and longer and longer and it will benefit you and it will illuminate your heart. 
So once a person becomes accustomed to music, then hypocrisy is in the heart because then Allah won't enter the heart for him. Allah won't do anything for him. Meaning he himself won't think that dhikr of Allah will do anything because it'll all be about music. So, and then this is about artificial entertainment. It's, essentially, this is also about wasting time. A person should be focused on doing something useful. It doesn't mean you have to do worship all the time, but it means you have to do something useful all the time, by which you're able to either do, as they say, isalul khayr ila nas, as Imam Ghazali mentions. You should read his Bidayatul Hidayah, his beginning of guidance, where he speaks about how you spend the entire day. And he says that a human, you know, in the day should either just be doing dhikr of Allah, remembering Allah, or if he has to do something else, then it should be isalul khayr, doing something of social welfare, trying to uh, benefit somebody else. And number three, if you, he begrudgingly says if you have to earn a living, of course he is extreme in that regard. If you have to earn a living, then okay, I'll let you go and do that for a while. But otherwise you should just be focused on this. That's very extreme, obviously. The best job that you can have in this world, if you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is a job that's related to your deen. I mean, what better job is there than an imam's job, right? As I know you have to be Superman to be an imam because of the demands that everybody has off you. But what better job is there than that? Seriously, I feel really bad of le letting it go. But I just couldn't do it anymore. But I did it for eight years in America and, you know, six years in, in England, right? Because you get to do your salat and then you get paid for that. Though your intention is not the pay. If your intention is I'm only doing this imam but for the pay, then you're losing it. But your, your intention shouldn't be that. Why should it be that? Your intention should be that, man, Allah has given me a job that relates to my deen. Similarly, teaching, uh, producing Islamic material, lots of things like that that you could be doing. Of course, everybody's not going to get a chance to do that, but that's fine. Your intention could be that when I work, then I'm going to use this expertise or the strength or the money, the, the wealth from it. To, to do something for my own upkeep of it in, in terms of Islam or to help somebody else. Always have the many, many good intentions. Because at the end of the day, the intentions are from us. For Allah, it's to accept. If we don't have the intentions, then what's Allah going to accept from us? So have as many intentions as possible, when whatever you're doing. As mundane as the job may be. سارے کو چاہے کہ لوگوں کی تعریف کرنے اور نیک کہنے سے مغرور نہ ہو بلکہ اسے آزمائش سمجھے This is very important. This is very important. A salik, a person who's on the path, if somebody praises him because they've seen sudden changes in you, you've started suddenly praying all the salats, or you pray all your nawafil prayers now, or you've started changing your appearance, you've started doing dhikr more, you know, you started abstaining from haram things that people that you used to do before, you know, etc, etc. People have noticed the change in you, so now they start praising you, genuinely or otherwise. Sometimes people just make fun of you. You know, sometimes they just, you know, they just want to make fun of you. But otherwise, positively, people want to praise you, mashallah, you're doing very well and so on. And yes, you're going to feel this is another test. This is another test. So what you don't do is don't give up what you're doing. Even if you have a bad intention, don't give it up. Because you have to learn good intention. Good intention doesn't come about like that. You can't go into a gym and just start lifting heavy weights like that. You have to start off from small. 
See, we don't have the ability to do good, good deeds and be sincere at the same time. But slowly, slowly, we have to push sincerity into it. 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%. Sometimes we'll be fully 100% sincere, but then sometimes you may lose it for that moment. Maybe a vulnerable moment. This is until we gain istiqama. Until we gain istiqama, the heart becomes more tranquil, you know, more mutma'in, you know, away from... Uh, from Ammara, it becomes more Lawama and then it becomes more Mutma'in. Then after that, you'll be fine, but it has to be learnt and you will build that up from 5% inshallah to 100%. Sincerity is, is, is difficult to attain, uh, it's very difficult to attain, but it has to be learnt and it has to be practiced. Salik agar koi na shaista kaam kar bethe to apne nafs ko saza de, mathalan uske marghubat rok le aur usse mujahada aur mashakkat me dal de. If a person does do something that they're not supposed to do then you can penalize yourself be careful about penalizing yourself I ran into a, a case once a poor sister who um, she racked up basically compound interest it was interest and compound interest and so on what I mean is she used to vow that I will not do this sin again and if I do then I have to pay 10 pounds right Ten pounds manageable. Then it happened again, so she she wanted to be more strict with herself, so she said a hundred pounds. And then I, she wanted to be even more strict with herself, so then she said a thousand pounds. And then it just kept racking up, right? And it was then a spiral that was out of control. So we have to find loopholes for them. Otherwise, how they, how is she going to pay thousands of pounds? because of her vow that she's done right so we had to found a find a loophole the biggest mistake that people make which is positive essentially remember to make a vow is not necessarily recommended in terms of being a sunnah the prophet said the vow is there just to extract money from a bakhil from a from a miser because a vow is not going to change anything another another is not going to change anything specifically talking about another another is if this happens then i'll do this this is the opposite right this is the opposite but the main thing is this is kind of a self-imposing penalty that we're doing the main thing that you have to remember from a jurisprudence perspective is that when you are doing a vow it has to be verbally stated using specific terms where you are obligating yourself so i put it upon myself I obligate myself, I consider it necessary on myself, something to that effect, that I will pay £10 if this happens again. If you just think in your mind that I'll pay £10 if this happens again, or if I do this crime again, or if I do this penalty again, then you're not obliged. Though, it's good to fulfill that because you have made a vow, you have made an obligation, but it can't be taken to court for, because you haven't verbally said anything. So we managed to get her out of, out of that. We told her to give some sadaqah at least. But don't ever do that, especially if you notice you're going out of control. The whole point of self-imposing penalty is not to punish yourself further. It's to deter. If it's not acting as a deterrence, then why are you doing it? Okay, this is a, a few aphorisms on sincerity, which are very beautiful. Uh, Ibn Ata'illah al-Iskandari, he says, Al-a'malu suwarun qa'imatun wa arwahuha Listen to this carefully. Al-a'malu suwarun qa'imatun wa arwahuha wujudu sirri al-ikhlasi fiha. 
Actions are lifeless forms. Actions are just these practical demonstrations that you do. What does it make it when you make salat? You could do that automatically. You could do that as in automatic pilots. So what is it that makes it special? وَأَرْوَاحُهَا وُجُودُ الْإِخْلَاصِ فِيهَا The presence of an inner reality of sincerity within them is what endows them with a life-giving spirit. So if you don't have sincerity in an action, then it's just another action. In fact, it becomes worse than another action. If you're doing ibadat without sincerity, it becomes worse than not doing it. Sometimes. Because then, if you're doing it to show somebody else, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say that you've committed shirk, a form of shirk. So, with any action, the righteous deeds of the servant that are devoid of sincerity are like the dead body without the soul. However, if actions are accompanied with sincerity, the body will have life. Insincere actions are lifeless and will bring no benefit in the hereafter. The next one is a bit heavy. You'll have to pay special attention to understand this one. It's really complicated. It's not that complicated, but it's, it's on another level. He says, مَا أَرَادَتْ هِمَّةُ سَالِكٍ أَن تَقِفَ عِنْدَمَا كُشِفَ لَهَا إِلَّا وَنَادَتْهُ هَوَاتِفُ الْحَقِيقَةِ الذي تطلب أمامك ولا تبرجت ظواهر المكونات إلا ونادته حقائقها إنما نحن فتنة فلا تكفر Alright, hardly does the intention of the initiate The initiate is the one who has just started on the path Hardly does the intention of the initiate one want to stop at what has been revealed to him then the voices of reality call out to him, that which you are looking for is still ahead of you. And hardly do the exterior aspects of created beings display their charms, than their inner realities call out to him, we're only a trial, so disbelieve not. Now who, who understood that? What that means is, if you're going from here to Birmingham you've gone on the highway and suddenly you see our highways are pretty boring right the M1 is pretty boring you don't see anything it's just fields there's nothing there in America the highways were much more interesting because you would be going through places there'd be lots of stuff you see this is probably more Zahid more Zuhd in England it's better because you don't get distracted but, you know, you've got these side shows taking place. You've got something here. You've got this nice rest area. You've got these vista points. So now your objective is Birmingham. But what you do is, every time you see something nice, which come about on the way, you stop and you look and you spend time. And, and you're supposed to get there. The faster you get there, the better. Because you'll start earning your benefits there. But not benefits, yani, you know, I mean by benefits. Earning, you know, rewards and so on. So... But what you're doing is you're wasting your time because all of these things are distracting you. So what he's saying is that for the initiate one, the one who starts following this path. Now what's going to happen is, this is very difficult for people to understand because we haven't experienced it. It's mystical in the sense that when you haven't been doing so much dhikr anyway, our whole life has been like that. So we've never experienced any kind of spiritual enlightenment. Right? So anybody who's going to look at this, he's going to think, what kind of bit are they talking about? What kind of spiritual openings and revelations are they speaking about? 
I've never felt anything like that. I pray every day. I pray five times a day. But how connected is your heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That's the question. So what happens is when you start doing dhikr and the dirt starts to wash away from our hearts and the blackness starts to disappear and we start becoming illumined, certain things open up for us. You don't start knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. That's not what I mean. But there are certain things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires you with. You start suddenly feeling better. You start feeling the sweetness of faith. There are certain other unveilings that, take, that could take place. Now, he's talking obviously to a high, uh, he's talking to the initiate, so that when you do experience these things, don't make them your objective. They're not your objective. They're just things on the path. They're just sideshows on the path. They're just to spur you along. That look, the bigger thing is in front of you, right? So that's what he's saying. So look, at, let's read it again. Hardly does the intention of the initiate want to stop at what has been revealed to him. These revelations that are coming about now. I don't mean wahi, but just these revelations that are coming about. Then the voices of reality will call out to him. That which you are looking for is still ahead of you. It's still ahead of you. And hardly do the exterior aspects of created beings display their charms. The created beings... All of these side things, even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might be giving you these spiritual intuitions and unveilings, they're still creatures. They're still created. It's not the creator that you've got yet. You have to get to the creator. So, hardly do the exterior aspects of created beings display their charms than their inner realities call out to him, saying, we are only a trial. Don't disbelieve. For you, this is disbelief. We're not those that you have to believe in. Allah is who you have to believe in. So you only have to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The way he comments on this is this. He says, a servant while traversing the path and engaging in dhikr and reflection and contemplation. See, when you start doing these things, then you'll experience this. You might receive numerous kinds of mysteries and realities in the heart. The spiritual ecstasy experienced as a result can lead to one becoming engrossed in those states. Subhanallah. You know when you do your dhikr and your muraqabah and you've had a good day of quality muraqabah and you actually feel good about it? It's the same thing. That's not what you're looking for. It's beyond that. That helps, but that's not what you're looking for. So if you don't feel pleasure but you're doing muraqabah properly, you're still getting to your objective. It's a very subtle science. But we're so corrupt, we're so far away from it that we have to be taught these things. Sahaba had these things. This is their experience all the time. The spiritual ecstasy experience as a result can lead one to become engrossed in these states to the extent that one begins to think that this is the goal, whereas it most certainly is not. Yet such an afflicted person can rejoice in the hope of divine guidance where the accomplished sheikh's shadow is over the seeker to inspire him on towards the goal of divine pleasure. See, this is talking about a very critical problem. Um, one of the sheikhs calls this short-circuiting. What that is, is that if you're not... See these adhkar that have been prescribed. Aside from the first lesson of the Naqshbandi way, the first lesson of the Naqshbandi anybody can do that. Once you go, you go beyond that, and even with the Chishti ways as well, right? Um, in the Chishti way, they eventually give you dhikr like pass and fast. And, although pass and fast is, is beneficial for everybody, but then uh, the La ilaha illallah and so on. 
I know a, a classmate of mine when I was studying younger, he decided to just go and do dhikr. This la ilaha illallah, la ilaha illallah, you know, for like an hour or something in a, in a classroom. It was dark. Um, it was one of the, you know, when four o'clock is Maghrib. So he was doing it after that or something in the classroom in Darulum. And he said he started seeing stuff. He goes, he just started seeing stuff and he got really frightened and everything. What happened, what's happening there is a short circuit. He wasn't permitted to do that. He was going abundantly. Because the Sheikh will tell you, okay, this is how much you do. And then if you notice that there's strange things happening or whatever, then you tell the Sheikh and then they will adjust it for you. Right? Then say, no, no, do this or do that. It's just like medicine. Sometimes it has a side effect or an overreaction. Right? Of course, there are certain things that will never give you an overreaction, like salawat on the Prophet You can sit the whole day and do that. There'll never be a problem. But there are certain things that are very powerful. According to some ulama, La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimin. The dua of Yunus from the Quran, that's very powerful. You go and sit that and do that for you know, a few hundred times, that could prove very uh, too, too strong for you. Right? So, of course, anything mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah of uh, you know, doing it this many times, that will never have a uh, problem. 100 times istighfar, no problem. 10,000 times istighfar, no problem. But, La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimin took Yunus out of the whale. That's powerful. So can you imagine doing it 10,000 times? It proves hot, right? So that's why you need a shaykh when it comes to these extra azkar. That's why you need them for the, for the extra asbaq to, to regulate them. So that's what he's saying here, that if you don't have the shaykh's shadow over you, essentially his guidance he's talking about. You know, shaykh's not going to have a shadow over you all the time. These are just metaphorical statements. Right? So to inspire a person towards the goal of divine pleasure. This can happen with the inspiration of the heart. Sometimes your self will tell you, your goal is ahead. Don't halt here. Advance. These conditions and states that you are experiencing are creations like yourself. They are not the creator. So on these side vista points, it'll still say Birmingham, 50 miles. But you've just stopped over. You want to stop and have a good time before you get to 50 miles, even though the sign is telling you 50 miles is your destination. These conditions and states that you experience are creations like yourself. So these are all just creations like yourself. They are not your creator. Your goal is the creator most high. Similarly, the external beauty of worldly objects can be revealed to the traveler through the course of his journey. And he can become excessively attracted to them. If deviation has been decreed for him, which can be in the form of becoming attached to an unaccomplished guide. If a person becomes attached to an unaccomplished guide, we didn't do this one last week, did we? Okay. He becomes entrapped in these worldly objects. What happens is I had a, a friend who wanted to get into the path of Suluk. This was in America, so he found this famous sheikh in one of the cities there, and he became attached to him. And the sheikh he would uh, sit there in the gathering and talk about um, Ottoman history and uh, more about Ottoman history and that kind of stuff than any pure dhikr etc and then he would take everybody to work on his farm in upstate New York right and basically there was no it was all about khidmah as opposed to you could reach Allah like that you know but this person then he ran a mile afterwards when you know when he found an, he found that this was problematic the sheikh would sit there and women with niqab on, he would say, you don't need to wear niqab. 
you know, what's this? This is all extreme, you know, it would just be a mixed gathering and things like that. So eventually he got out of it. So if you get yourself, you know, people, they want to look for something. Sometimes people are in a vulnerable situation. So they find somebody says, you know, he's a great sheikh, he'll help you out. And these certain sheikhs make big claims as well, right? Allah protects us from making claims. And so they'll go in and, you know, subhanAllah, they're going to feel some benefit initially because they're going to start doing certain adhkar, etc. But eventually it's going to be devoid. May Allah protect us from that. If divine guidance comes to the person's aid, the reality of the objects of the transitory world become manifest, manifest to him and they call out to him loudly, we have been created by Allah Most High as a trial for you. They're not going to call out, but what he means is that they, that's what their state will be saying, that we're not your objective. Do not be ungrateful to your creator by engrossing yourself in us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us that insight so that we're protected from focusing on things that are not to our benefit. This is the biggest problem today that man has, is distraction. Useless entertainment, this is what we're engrossed in. Even those people who are trying to get close to Allah, uh, even the knowledgeable people, this is what we are engrossed in. This is our biggest fitna today, is to do useless things. It's come right to your phones, it's come right to your palms, before you had to go out to do useless things. The most useless thing you could do sitting at home was just laze around and go to sleep. But now you get in your bed and you can still do, do wrong things. And this is the biggest distraction that we have today. Biggest haram and fitna we have today. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us.